Hello and welcome to the Proceed podcast, the podcast where we delve into the world of SAP data management. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today we're talking about data protection and compliance. I'm joined today by Chris Burfitt, our subject matter expert on all things compliance. So let's get started. Hi, Chris. Hello. Right, uh, let's get started. So first of all, can you explain to our listeners what data compliance actually means? Data compliance, yes. It means different things to different people. Basically, it's not a simple subject. There are compliance rules. A lot of people will have heard of GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, that it applies to Europe and, and there's a version in the UK as well. So that comes from uh, government or from the, uh, the EU. And that gives us a set of rules that for personal data that mean that there are yeah the rules that tell us what we've got to do with that personal data to keep it safe and, and when to remove it. But there is also compliance from industry regulators for it might be something like the pharmaceutical industry where they've got some compliance rules around data. And that tells them how to deal with their data and how long to keep it. And finally, there, there may actually be internal compliance rules uh, from an organization, which they, uh, not from an industry regulator or from the government, but the rules that are for a, that they've put in place in their own organization to say, you know, when uh, you should get rid of data, uh, how long you should uh, keep it for, basically. Okay. And so when we talk about being compliant, what does that actually entail? So being compliant will entail protection of data at a certain point in time. So you will want to ensure that certain people can only access that data. Uh, in fact, that's one of the rules of data full stop is even uh, at any point in time is controlling who has access to it. But at a particular point in time, you probably want to reduce that access uh, to, to protect that data as much as you can from misuse. And also at a point in time, you're going to want to remove that data when it's no longer needed. That's from a data protection point of view, that's, that's a, a legal requirement, but there may also be an organizational uh, need or requirement or benefit to removing data when you don't need it anymore. A lot of the time it's because a database gets very big if you don't take data out of it. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a, an advantage to the database and IT wise to remove the data. Okay, so of course, it's well known that there's pretty hefty fines can come out of not being compliant. But what other motivations do business have to, to become compliant? Particularly in regulated industries, a non-compliance may result in a revoking of the organization's license to operate. And that will have as much of a serious financial consequence as, as any fine. And if you end up being fined, you are very likely to end up in the media. Uh, and if you're in the media, you're going to end up with reputational damage and your brand may be damaged. Or if you are a government organization, your your the trust in that organization will be damaged. Uh, and that's never something that an organization wants. Uh, if you're commercial, that's going to potentially be quite a a financial hit commercially because people will have less trust in your product and your brand 
and a government organization clearly is uh, or more sort of an institution and um, will be less trusted and again will be uh, never never great uh, for for an organization to be in that position mm. taking that into account what's actually holding businesses back from starting their compliance journey what are some of the common barriers and challenges that they face understanding what it is that's actually trying to be achieved is is one of the biggest barriers not actually understanding the implications of the rules a lot of organizations have a clear set of rules but aren't quite sure how they should be applying them and are not uh, even sure sometimes where the data resides where they should be applying the rules so having a a a picture a clear picture of where the data is, is is sometimes one of the biggest issues and if you haven't got a clear picture of where your data is, then it's, it's very difficult to address the control of that data. And that's, that's one of the, the biggest problems. So understanding the rules and understanding where the data is. So if we think about compliance within the SAP environment, what does that mean? A lot of people think that compliance in an SAP system is about removing data, deleting data when it's no longer needed but there's much a wider subject really in SAP which is about controlling the access to the data and making sure only people who need the data can can access it and also making sure you've controlled who can extract that data from the SAP system because once it's been extracted then it's it's uncontrolled it's outside of SAP and and the the owners of the SAP system can't do anything to to protect that data so it's more than just um, removing data it, it it's those um key things of protecting uh, the data as well hmm. and SAP they've really expanded their products particularly um their cloud products so so what about those so the cloud products uh, are all individual in terms of the, the, the tools and mechanisms that are available from SAP to, to manage data. And we're really going to concentrate in this conversation about you know, what people would consider to be a traditional SAP system, uh, an ECC system, uh, um, CRM system. Uh, which is on a sort of a, a, what, what is commonly known as sort of the SAP business suite platform. But yes, organizations shouldn't lose sight of the, the, the fact that they may be using uh, products like SuccessFactors or Concur or Ariba. And each of those needs to be considered in its own right in terms of a, uh, a, a solution for uh, compliance. But, uh, but yeah, as far as we're concerned in this conversation, we, we're going to sort of narrow the, uh, the focus a little bit into that uh, traditional SAP type database. Okay, great. So... With that in mind, can you elaborate a little bit on the life cycle of data, um, especially where um, it becomes a compliance issue for businesses? Sure. So when we've got data in the system, we, we, we sometimes think of it in terms of sort of a, the temperature of the data. And we would say, you know, the, the data is it, it hot, warm or, or, or cold, let's just say. And then that sort of is quite nice in terms of the way that translates to, to storage as well. When we talk about, you know, a cold storage area, we usually mean something where the, the, something it's not used as often. So in a data context, 
uh, we've got this, we've got the hot data, the, the data that's used every day, day to day, you know, really heavily uh, queried, uh, needed by the business to, to, to conduct their operations. Then we move into uh, the sort of, the, as we cool down the data temperature, we're moving into the area where um, the business transaction might be complete. So you're, you're dealing with a customer, you, you've got a sales order, you've, someone's ordered something and, and you've completed now that order, you've done all the business, the, the customer's got the item, you've got your money, uh, but you still need that for reporting purposes. So you're not dealing with it day to day, all of that day to day stuff's done, but you, you can't get rid of it because you still need it for, for reporting. And at some point, the temperature of the data is going to cool down again, and it'll get to the point where um, you no longer need that data. It uh, may be that you've got a business rule, for instance, where there's either a financial rule, maybe there's a regulation rule that says that you should keep data, let's just say, for 10 years. Uh, and after t- 10 years, that, that reason is then gone. The compliance is no longer there. You don't need to comply with any business rules any legislation, any uh, uh, industry-specific um, rules. Uh, and at that point, that, that's what we call it. We say it's end of purpose. And that end of purpose description is what we'll find in GDPR as well and General Data Protection Regulation, uh, where they say when something's end of purpose, when its purpose is no longer what you collected the data for, that's when you need to be removing uh, the data. Uh, from a compliance point of view, that's really important because in some cases, uh, particularly GDPR, the compliance is not that you must keep the data for a certain amount of time. It's the compliance is you must remove it when you no longer need it. Okay, great. Thank you. So that's the life cycle of data. Can you talk about the different types of data that need to be addressed for compliance, such as supplier, customer and employee data? How does the um, How do the approaches differ and what are the implications yeah, so particularly let's take the um, suppliers and customers and, and the object that we call business partner in an SAP context. That, that's a slightly complicated picture and it, it depends on the organisation. And it's complicated because some of the uh, data within the, uh, the database could be subject to some sort of data protection um, legislation. And that's if the customer is a, is a person. So your customer might be someone who, let's just say you're a utilities company, you're selling water or electricity to uh, to someone, and you're going to be, someone on the bill is going to be the householder. It's going to be the, the person who pays the bill. And you're going to have their name and, and you're going to have their uh, address. And that, that is now subject to a Data Protection Act type legislation. However, you may have um, a customer or supplier that's a business, but that's not personal data. That's you know, the, uh, uh, or you're dealing with the, 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 a government agency or, or, you know, that is, uh, is not subject to Data Protection Act, but there still will be compliance rules around that. So you may find that the compliance rule in that case is uh, defining that you must keep it for a particular amount of time rather than when you must remove it. So let's say the financial regulations would say that you've got to keep uh, data because of, uh, you know, the company's tax, uh, you need to keep it for six years and the current tax year. Now, that's a minimum retention uh, compliance rather than the other way around. If it's the um, if it's an individual's details, 
Um, you've got a data protection compliance that's defining when you must remove it. So you've got those two different angles for that uh, customer and supplier and business partner uh, type of data. Um, employee data is much more simple. Uh, the, the compliance there is uh, with uh, organizational rules, which might say that you need to keep it for a particular amount of time, but you've got some probably some tax authority rules. In the UK, for instance, you've got to keep data for at least three years on the current tax year uh, to comply with HMRC rules. Um, but then there's also then the data protection angle, which is once you have finished using the data, you must remove it. And that one's pretty simple for employee data because it's employee data is always personally identifiable. So it's always going to come under that data protection banner. Okay, understood. Okay, so just moving on now to businesses that are, you know, just about to embark on a, on a compliance project. What are some of the important considerations? What are the things that the pitfalls that they need to kind of avoid, uh, things that people may not think about as, a, about as they first start doing the project? The primary issue that we come across is, is, the, is getting the right stakeholders involved in a project. And we can often find that we're engaged by the IT department initially because they've been given um, the compliance remit for their system that they own. Uh, but without the involvement of all the right stakeholders from the business uh, who own the data uh, and the compliance officers who are responsible for, for that compliance angle, legal uh, representatives perhaps, and, and, uh, and so on, without that full picture of who's using the data and who is interested in that compliance, uh, it, you end up with a, a skewed picture sometimes of, of, of the, the, uh, the need in the compliance area. So those stakeholders are absolutely critical. Mm. What is also critical to understand is where the data is. So just being compliant with a, da a live database may not be enough because maybe you've copied that database into a, a test system. Uh, or a uh, system where you're doing training. Um, and you need to address the data there as well as the data in the production uh, or live system. And then finally, really, it's around understanding how the data is used and where it's sent to. It, and if you are allowing users, for instance, to download data out of the system and, in, and, and, and manipulate it, say, in an Excel spreadsheet for reporting purposes, uh, understanding how that data is used and how it is then um, treated is, is quite important for the business. It's not a lot we can do about that from an SAP point of view. Once the data has left the system, there's not much that we can do, but we could help control how it leaves the system uh, by saying which users are allowed to do that, for instance. Um, and then we can help customers generally, you know, when we have a, we're talking to customers, you know, they, we tend to try and get them thinking about where, where's this data gone? and uh, how you're going to uh, control that data now it's no longer in the SAP system. Okay, that makes sense. So how, do, how does the approach differ when dealing with these three types of, of data? If we take uh, employee data as, a, as the first one to cover off, uh, quite often the requirement there is, is just to remove data. Uh, there they could be a requirement for 
blocking for further uh, control around blocking access to the data. But usually we find uh, in an, uh, an HR system, an SAP HR system, is all, that access control is already in place and the people who can see the data uh, are already known and, and, and approved. So it generally is that, that there is a, a data purge approach, a data destruction approach that is usually used for employee data. For customers, vendors, and business partners, it, it, it tends to be slightly different in that the removal of data is actually quite difficult because it's dependent on closing down all of the business transactions that are underneath those objects and making sure that they're all archived and, and removed. And, and once you've tidied up all the data underneath a customer or a business partner or a, a vendor, then you can look at maybe removing the record. The focus on, on those, therefore, because it's quite difficult to remove the record, the focus is usually on blocking the data. So we would introduce a situation where the uh, after we get to the end of uh, business, uh, so the transactions are all completed, but you might need the data still for reporting purposes. We look to to uh, reduce the amount of access to that uh, um, object by blocking it. Um, we put it. In, we put a special indicator on it. Uh, we say only certain people can see blocked data. And that means, as you know, someone is working in the call center, for instance, I would say, ah, well, you know, I I've no need to see this data, so I can't see it. But someone who's doing an audit uh, would be allowed to see the uh, allowed to see the data. Okay, so what about the tools that are available to customers um, as part of the, the the compliance program? What tools are essential in ensuring data compliance? So we've got a number of tools in the box. And they do uh, they do different things, uh, and we've talked about some of the things that you might want to consider. You know, reducing access to data clearly is one of them, um, and you know, removing the data entirely is 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 something else. So, in terms of reducing the access, we've got a, a few things that we can look at implementing. Uh, we can look at masking data in the user interface. So. In a similar way that when you go onto a website and you're typing in your password and it you just see a list of asterisks, but you know you're typing your password in in the background, but it doesn't show you it on the screen. So that's some that's an option that's available. So you can say, okay, we want the user to see that there is some data there, but they, they mustn't see what the data is. Um, so that's that's an option. We can also look at um blocking data, and, and the blocking is you know setting this flag to say. Uh, no, only certain users can have access. So it's a it's a similar to sort of the normal access control in the system, but it's an extra layer. So we say, ah, yeah, well, this is a special type of record now, and uh, if you haven't got blocking access, you can't you can't see it. And blocking, we can remove that flag if we need to to allow someone to see it as well. So it's not it's not uh, it, it's reversible. We also can use uh, the whole archiving process to uh, to block data. Because once data is in an archive, you need special authorization to see the data in the archive. So the very act of archiving is also a useful tool in the box in terms of blocking data. And then another way of restricting access is, is um, redacting data. It's not available as standard in the uh, ILM toolset, uh, but at Proceed, we've developed some tools which allow us to redact data. And redact by redact, we mean we, get, we move the data to a safe place 
and in its place, we put a, a value that you can tell that there was data there. And usually, to be honest, we just use the word redacted. Uh, and you look at the field, it says redacted. You know there was some data there. Uh, if you need it back, you can get it back uh, through a, if you have the right authorizations to do so. But it means that we can protect particular parts of data and allow certain data still to be available for reporting, but remove data that uh, you, know, you should only have access to in special circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it's the tools to remove the data. Uh, we've got a very comprehensive tool set and that, that, that enables data to be removed using information lifecycle management. Uh, but more importantly, a set of rules that we set behind that, that uh, protect the data and, and may mean it is retained uh, for the length of time it should be retained. So again, two sides of this compliance. One side is make sure you keep the data for long enough. Don't delete it earlier than you should. The other side is make sure you get rid of it when the, uh, the, the, when the time's up. So ILM allows us to protect the data. So we say, well, it sh- we know it should be removed after five years, but actually we don't want it to be removed earlier than that. So ILM, we put a rule in, we say, no, this data is retained for five years. And it means that when you run the processes, if you tried to delete data for uh, after four years, it will, it will tell you it's not eligible. So it's a nice way of both protecting the data but also flagging up the data is now uh, should be destroyed because it's reached the end of its life cycle. Okay, and so you talked a little bit about, well, there was some SAP standard tools in there, but there was also some that were kind of developed by third parties. Well, we have our own, others have their own. Um, When we're talking about SAP standard tools, how accessible are they to businesses? How, How easy are they to implement, would you say? It's an interesting one. Uh, I mean, they are accessible. Uh, uh, they're very accessible, but uh, they're not always easy to implement. Uh, particularly, we found the the blocking solution uh, from SAP has um, is quite very tricky to implement, and and has been challenging for us uh, with customers to to get that implemented. Uh, so we've a lot of experience now with that product. We, we've got a very good relationship with SAP. Um, so, you know, we are in a very um, good position to be able to put that solution in um, and know where all of the sort of pitfalls are with, with that. And with the data destruction side of things, again, you know, although on the surface it looks, you know, all plain sailing and, and quite simple, uh, we know from our experience that that it's not, uh, and there are a lot of things to think about that perhaps you wouldn't think about if you hadn't done it several times before. So clearly, that's where our help comes in handy. Is is you know we're not doing this for the first time by any stretch of the imagination. So you know we can bring our experience in, and and uh, we know what to expect and uh, and how to deal with that. So uh, you know the less unknowns, the better the plan is basically. Mm, yeah, that's. Great, thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Chris. Um, so we, we did cover a lot of ground there, but if you do want to find out more information about um, the SAP data privacy journey, Chris has also done uh, a webinar on the subject called Ensuring SAP Data Compliance with GDPR and Other Regulations. So that is on YouTube, but we'll also put the link to that in the bio of this episode. So take a look at that.
Okay, so just to wrap things up, we've got one final question that we're asking all of our guests. Chris, can you recommend another podcast that you enjoy listening to, apart from the Proceed podcast, of course? <laughs> uh, yeah, so one of my favourite podcasts is uh, one with the uh, interesting name of The Infinite Monkey Cage. And it's Professor Brian Cox, uh, him of stargazing uh, and uh, physics fame. And they, uh, in each episode, uh, cover a, a, a subject uh, and they put a humorous and scientific uh, twist on that subject. So, for instance, they were talking about wine. Uh, they, they were over in Australia talking about wine and they were trying to describe and work out scientifically where the taste comes from of wine, uh, where uh, why we perceive different uh, tastes, whether whether different people can taste different things in wine, which was apparently true. If you've got different genes that you will pick up tannins more than other people, you'll pick up pepperiness in the, the wine if you've got a particular gene. And if you haven't got that gene, you won't pick up the pepperiness. Mm. All the explanation of why some people like red wine and some people don't. Some people like different types of red wine. And then it was things, really interesting things like um, they got them to hold their nose and then drink the wine because without the smell, you can't taste the wine. Mm-hmm. And then they they did a little trick of you know showing some someone a, a a red wine that was had been no it was a white wine that had been coloured red. So your brain thinks it's red wine, mm-hmm. and it was all like suggestive. You know they were telling people it was a particular type of wine. People were their expectations were uh, telling them what it should taste like, and then they'd say no, it wasn't that wine at all. So it was great to there was all these little experiments they do with with how the brain works and 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 the science behind things uh, say that, like 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 tasting wine. So uh, yeah, that's 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 one of my favourites. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. What was it called again? Sorry, it's called the Infinite Monkey Cage by Brian Cox with Professor Brian Cox. Great. Okay, brilliant. We'll definitely be giving that a listen. Thank you very much, Chris, for joining me today. Thank you, Rebecca. 